Let's unpack a little bit what Jesus talks about uh, with regards to false prophets. Look at, at uh, Matthew chapter 7 on the uh, Mount of uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. At the end of this, he says something very important and he says it multiple times, but here he says it this way. Matthew chapter 7 and we'll look in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. What's that talking about? What does that look like exactly? Well, it helps me to think about a time when I was a child. And, and my parents, uh, one day I remember that after we had this meal, they had the awesome idea that we were going to have ice cream for dessert. Didn't happen that often, but that day we had ice cream for dessert. And I remember that that day I especially wanted to go and clear the table after having had ice cream for dessert. You know why? Because maybe, just maybe, somebody else, who's my own family, I wasn't worried about COVID-19, maybe they didn't clean out their ice cream bowl quite as well as I did. And I might get a little more ice cream because they're good parents and they didn't let me eat too much ice cream. So I remember going back and cleaning things off the table and I spotted it. There was that bowl of the white goodness that I wanted more of and there was a lot of it in it still. And I thought, ah, okay, got to plan this carefully. So I was carrying dishes in and I went out and I found a spoon and I came back to that bowl. I knew it was going to be so incredible. And I took that spoon and I dipped it into that white goodness and I put it into my mouth and was immediately greeted by a sour cream taste. It was sour cream. It looked like the white goodness of ice cream, but it was sour cream. The exact opposite of really what I wanted to taste in that moment of sweetness, it was sour. This is what I picture that, that, that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, hey, they're going to have sheep's clothing on, so, so they look exactly like the real thing. Now, I don't think most of these people look exactly like anything that I've read in my Bible. It's not that tempting if you've read your Bible. But could it be that there are some who are confessing Christ, who are Christians, maybe even some of us who occasionally have a way of leading people away from Jesus. Well, Jesus goes on to answer that question for us. He tells us, first of all, how you can know. If somebody, they look like a sheep, how do you know? Maybe they have a ravenous wolf inside. Maybe they're, they're putting on all the encoutrements of religion on the outside, but maybe inside they're a ravenous wolf. How do I know? He goes on to say, verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Those of you that have been up at the farm, Matt, can you get figs from thorn bushes? Not so much, right? You know what you're going to get from that plant. Okay, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So this is what you can do. You can look at the fruits in their life. What is actually manifested through their lives? And later on, we see what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, that Gunnar just read to us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these things evident in a person's life? If not, it's possible that you may have a ravenous wolf in sheep's clothing. And I'm not asking you to point fingers today, but instead I'm asking you to look inside. And I'm asking you to look at who you're following. And to simply say, am I really following the true Messiah? And then he goes on to say, and it makes it even more specific and a little bit 
more intense and a little bit more important maybe for the days we're living in. It says, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Wow, think about that. How many of you would say, yeah, I've prophesied in the name of God. I mean, that's a pretty bold claim. Hey, God, I thought I was speaking as your mouthpiece. Have we not cast out demons in your name? How many of you have had that deep of an experience with God where you cast out demons? We actually had a story in Sabbath school today where uh, one of our own church members actually prayed for a lady who was having experiences with demons and that has gone away from her. So that does take place and I've seen it take place myself. Then it says, and done many wonders in your name. Then verse 23, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. It says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Those are the words that I never want to hear. And I never want you to hear them. And the good news is that Jesus never wants to say them t- that to any person. He died for the entire world, John 3.16 says. He died to provide for you to be elect and chosen for you to live with him forever. There was a a man who received a phone call from another uh, guy who was his cousin. He'd grown up with him. His name was Steve, and he'd, he'd grown up with him, and he had, uh, it was like a brother, even though he was his cousin. And, and his friend began to tell him about how he wanted for him to join this movement. He said, you know, you've got to study this out for yourself. You've got to study out this theology. I think that there's something important for you to understand here, and And he went and he studied it for himself. And pretty soon he lost contact with that individual. But that person I later learned, or I recently learned, it sounds like he was actually studying comparative theology. He was learning how to to compare religions. But I've heard from another that he was really into sensational religions. He was into something exciting, to see a sign, to see something happening. Do you want to see signs of God at work? Do you want to see miraculous power? Do you want to know that God is with you? That's what the Pharisees wanted to know in Matthew chapter 16. There's a couple different times where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, hey, could you show us a sign just to show us you know, you're the, you're the real deal? Matthew chapter 16 is one of those times. And I think this one is is especially noteworthy this morning. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 1, because of how it starts. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him. Do you ever read the first sentence and kind of skip over it? Like, okay, this is just the introduction. I'm not going to pay much attention to this. What did we just read there? The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus. Okay, by the looks on your faces, maybe you're not all that familiar with the friendship between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Desire of Ages describes it a little bit better uh, in this commentary on the life of Christ. Page 405, it says, A deputation of Pharisees had been joined by representatives from the rich and lordly Sadducees. This is the party of the priests. Okay, so the Sadducees, they're rich and lordly, party of the priests. The skeptics, they're the ones who are like, "Uh, yeah, if there's a resurrection, then tell us what's going to happen with this situation. They didn't really believe in the afterlife. They, they didn't really believe that God was that involved in their life. I was reading the Jewish encyclopedia and they, they kind of thought that God stepped back and that he was, was almost more of a deist type perspective. They were skeptics and aristocracy of the nation. 
and the two sects had been at bitter enemy. The Sadducees courted the favor of the ruling power in order to maintain their position and authority. Right? So the Sadducees are the ones who, when they see the Romans, they're like, hey, let's be friends. Let's work together. And they're working with the Romans. They're working with Herod. They're working with all these people. And, and they're willing to do whatever it took in order to have what? Power. They just wanted to make sure that they had power, that they stayed in authority. Right? But then look at the contrast. The Pharisees, on the other hand, right? So in contrast to who the Sadducees were, fostered the popular hatred against the Romans, longing for the time when they could throw off the yoke of the conqueror. But Pharisees and Sadducees now united against Christ. Like seeks like, and evil, wherever it exists, leagues with evil for the destruction of the good. Here you have Pharisees who they started maybe out of something like the Essenes. They were, they were the ones who pulled themselves apart from the world. They wanted to make sure not to get too embroiled in society. And they were the ones who hated the Romans, who wanted them to be overthrown, who wanted a Messiah to come and get rid of the Romans. So do you see what we have here? We have the conservatives, right? They're all about making sure that they perfectly keep the law, making sure that they have a society that's pure. And you have the liberals, the Sadducees, these dirtbags who are supporting the Romans, who are only worried about their own power, who are the priests in control. And both of these are combining together to come to Jesus. And they're like, okay, Jesus, show us a sign. And Jesus' response to them is noteworthy. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 2, He answered and said to them, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it is it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. It means you're, you're totally fake. You're, you're putting something on the outside that's, that's not gotten to your heart. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Have you heard about the signs of the times? Have you heard anybody telling you recently, well, maybe COVID-19 is a sign of the times? This isn't mentioned many times in the Bible, but here you have the signs of the times. Jesus says, man, you guys have issues in that you aren't able to recognize the signs of the times. And then he goes on to explain to them, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Ouch. I'd like to see more signs. I'd like to just have road signs everywhere saying, okay, Jesus is coming in 2022. And then I know that I'll get to have an end to this suffering. I'd love to have those kind of signs. But no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And there's a whole lot here that we could dive into about Jonah and how his life reveals what Jesus is able to do in our lives. But let's just look at it as a big picture. And he told this just to the Pharisees previously. So right after this, it says, and he left them and departed. Maybe he wanted the Pharisees to fill them in on the rest of the story. But back in, I believe it's Matthew chapter 12, he told them a little bit more of the story. He told them, look, you ask for a sign, you're going to be given the sign of Jonah because just like Jonah preached to the Ninevites, the Ninevites repented, but there's a greater than Jonah here. There is somebody greater than Jonah here who's talking to you. And in the judgment, the Ninevites, you remember who the Ninevites were? They were the worst. They were this Assyrian nation who, they were brutal. We have uh, all of these um, engravings of what they would do to their captives. They were some of the worst and heinous, uh, most heinous criminals you might know of. 
Not only that, but they live profligate lives from what we can tell. He says, the Ninevites will rise up in the judgment and they're going to say, you're condemned. Because <laughs> a greater than Jonah is here and you didn't listen to him. Jesus is saying, look, I'm here. <laughs> you just need me. You don't need what I can do. You don't need me to call fire down from heaven. You don't need me to display some sort of power. You want me to dis- demonstrate to you that I'm powerful enough to help your armies conquer the Romans. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to give you the sign of Jonah. And in the, the earlier time when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. He's wanting them to know that, that what makes him powerful, what makes him glorious, what is the sign of sign through the entire great controversy throughout the universe for every angelic being, every human being to know that he's the Messiah is what he did on the cross. As Sadducees and Pharisees united together and came to him and rather than fighting back, he kept turning his cheek and turning his cheek and turning his cheek saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he willingly laid down his life for Pharisees, for Sadducees, and for you, and for me to show a power that is greater than hatred. A power of the God of the universe who is selfless love. God is love. And that is the sign of his power. Desire of Ages captures it like this, talking about what the the Pharisees had seen before. Every miracle that Christ performed was a sign of his divinity. He was doing the very work that had been foretold of the Messiah, but to the Pharisees, these works of mercy were a positive offense. You catch that? And you remember last week they were offended by the lady that was raised up. They're offended by the guy with the withered hand. They're offended time after time when he's healing people and releasing people from their oppression, from their burdens. And it goes on to say, the Jewish, the Jewish leaders looked with heartless indifference on human suffering. In many cases, their selfishness and oppression had caused the affliction that Christ relieved. And thus his miracles were to them a reproach. That which led the Jews to reject the Savior's work was the highest evidence of his divine character. The greatest significance of his miracles is seen in the fact that they were a blessing to humanity. The highest evidence that he came from God is that his life revealed the character of God. And what is the character of God? Jonah himself, when he preaches to those heathen Ninevites, those foreigners that he hated, and he wanted them to be destroyed, he goes up on a hill to see if God's going to destroy them and God doesn't. <laughs> and he's upset. And God comes to him and says, why are you upset, Jonah? He says, because I know that you're like that. I know that you're merciful, you're compassionate, you're gracious. I knew that I would go and tell them that and you wouldn't destroy them. It's so the question for me, the question for us. Is my heart a wolf heart or a sheep's heart? Do I have Jesus living in my heart? Or am I buying into the world's scheme of hatred? Do you know that we're all being played right now? 
The world is bringing hatred into our hearts. And, and on one side, we have this godlessness that we hate because it's so abominable. And we recognize that we need a country that is founded on beautiful Christian principles that are found in the Bible, the law of God. And so we look at the liberals, the Sadducee type people, and we say, man, that is the problem. And then on the other side, we have the conservatives who maybe some of us identify with more readily, and yet at the same time, are they truly exemplifying Jesus' heart for suffering humanity? And if they aren't, then they are also acting as wolves in sheep's clothing, who are confessing Christianity on the one hand, but on the other hand, are denying who Jesus really is. If you haven't got a chance, how many of you got to check out what I emailed out and texted out about uh, Ty Gibson sharing about the end of the world, the end. If you haven't got a chance to check it out, it's on Light Bears. I encourage you to check it out because we don't have time to look at some of the things in detail. But he talks about religion, politics, economics, and how to be prepared for the end in four-part series. And there's one more tonight. I encourage you to check it out. But last night, at the end of his message, something powerful stuck out to me as he pointed out that We have this picture that in the end it's liberals and conservatives and we're trying to rack our brains saying, okay, if I go with this side, are they going to be right in the end? Or if I go with this side, who's going to bring on the mark of the beast? Will this side bring on the mark of the beast? Or will this side? Maybe it's the environment or maybe it's the violation of religious freedom or or maybe it's one or the other. Do you notice that the Sadducees and Pharisees, they all combine together to put Jesus to death? And in my Bible, Revelation chapter 13, it says that in the end, there's a lamb-like beast He looks like a sheep on the outside. He's like a lamb. But on the inside, it says that he speaks like a dragon. Not just at the end, but he speaks constantly like a dragon. If you'd like to study out what that is, hopefully we'll have a chance. But Ty Gibson broke it down last night. So you can go on, on their website and check that out for yourself. Friends, it's crucial that we know who Jesus is for ourselves. That individual got that phone call and, and decided to deny what Steve was, was trying to sell to him. And Steve disappeared. And before long, turns out he had joined a guy uh, by the, uh, the name eventually went of David Koresh. He changed his name to David Koresh because he believed that he was the coming prophetic David King who was going to prepare the way for Jesus. He believed that he was like the lamb in Revelation who apparently wasn't Jesus but was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And he, you may have heard about it, he tried to get a lot of Seventh-day Adventists to join him out near Waco, Texas. And he did a lot of crazy things there. Steve's wife even may have ended up having a child with David Koresh. But Steve went and joined him. He had a fascination with, with, with sensational religions, with signs, with, with things like that. And he joined this movement and tried to convince others to join him. And in the end, after that 51-day siege back in 1993, they found his body right next, right next to David Koresh. And it chokes me up just a little bit because, you know, you read on the news about this person dying, that person dying. But this person is a little bit more closely related to my family. You see, my, my mom was married to a pastor who died in a tragic swimming accident, and that pastor was the one getting the phone calls from Steve, who was his best friend who was his cousin who was his, like a brother growing up who was his cousin trying to convince my brother's dad 
to join David Koresh in Waco, Texas. And you think how, how close something like that can come to your own heart and you worry, man, am I ready for something even bigger and more tempting than that? Something where Jesus said, if possible, even the elect would be deceived. Because David Koresh, honestly, that's not that appealing to me. A guy who's taking people's wives and names himself David and says he's a prophet and he's living in this weird... I'm not into that. But when somebody proclaims that they believe you're saved by grace alone, that you're following, that, that if you follow them, you're, they're really teaching the Bible. But in reality, they're speaking like a dragon or they're a ravenous wolf inside. I don't want to follow them. And I don't want to be that ravenous wolf. So how do we avoid that? In conclusion, Revelation chapter 14, turn there with me. Revelation chapter 14 describes those who've come out of Revelation 13. They've experienced the mark of the beast being inflicted by the lamb-like beast on these people. This, this beast that starts, that looks like a lamb, looks like a Christian power that decides to persecute those who keep the commandments of God. And then in Revelation 14, verse 4, it says this, these are the ones, talking about the 144,000, who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. <laughs> this means that they're not like the prostitute harlot who represents an apostate church, but they are like the pure church. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. These follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have come to know Jesus for him, themselves. My mom told me a little bit about Steve. She knew him for herself. She said, you know, he didn't care about having a personal relationship with Jesus. He was just into all of this theology and all of these things, but he didn't know Jesus for himself. I think about my daughters. You know, when they were born, Abby and Olivia, they were these little tiny babies, and I'm holding them in my arms, and I'm thinking, how am I going to tell them apart? I actually worried with a doctor about it. I said, look, how are we going to know which one came out first? Are we going to make sure that we know who Abby is, who Olivia is? We've, how are we going to have this down? Well, once they were born, we found out that Olivia had a little red mark above her ear for a little while. It's gone now. But for a while, I remember we'd take pictures and, and family would be looking at the picture. Okay, where's the red mark? Who's Olivia? Who's Abby? How can I tell them apart? Looking at the pictures really closely. How many of you have ever looked at one or the other of them and not gotten their name right? It's happened to me. It's okay to raise your hand. It's happened to, to I think, my entire family. But I'll tell you something. It's happening less and less for me. The, the more that I spend time with Abby and Olivia every day, the more that even their, their voice, the way that they talk, the things that they talk about, the mannerisms on their face, the way that they walk, the way that basically... There are so many differences to them that sometimes Lee and I are talking and we're like, how could you even think they look alike? I don't comprehend that. And why can we tell that? It's because we're with them 24-7. Are you following the Lamb? Am I following the Lamb? Whithersoever He goes. Am I with Him 24-7? If I want to recognize the difference between the true Christian, the true Christ, and the false Christ, I need to be with him constantly, meditating on his word, being like these redwoods that we talked about that are deeply rooted in his love, recognizing constantly the value of the cross of Jesus Christ. The God who displayed his power by saying, you are more valuable than me. So I'm going to lay down my life 
for you so that you know that what I live to do is to bless and enhance humanity around me. And I want for you to be filled with the Spirit so that you too will live for suffering humanity to make lives better around you. I want to set you free and that you are forgiven completely and totally. I've taken your sins to the cross. Now go and treat everybody else around you with that same love. Hatred is born out of our own sense of guilt, our own sense that we don't have what it takes or we're not enough and we begin to hate other people and tear them down to make ourselves feel better. And if you're feeling hatred for anybody in the world right now, I just want to tell you that's not from Jesus. Because in the end, we're going to have two groups. There's those who love and those who hate. And they're actually in both camps. You have those who love and hate in the conservative camp, those who love and hate in the liberal camp. And little by little, as Ty Gibson pointed out last night, those who love are going to be bound closer and closer together. And those who hate are going to come together in the end. And in the end, you're going to have two groups. Those who love, who keep all of the Ten Commandments, who love Jesus completely and fully. And those who hate... Those who believe that there's a God who will inflict and force his religion upon people. And those two will come in conflict. And when that conflict happens and those who hate come after those who love, those who love are going to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They're going to turn the other cheek again and again and again. Jesus warned that we'll be thrown into prison, that things are going to happen that aren't easy, but he's going to be with us. And he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and with the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience. And your witness will be powerful because Jesus is in you and you're following the Lamb wherever he goes. In conclusion, I just want to invite you to just take a moment in silence and just to ask God in the silence of your own heart, how is it with me? Do I have any any bits of dragon-like, wolf-like tendencies in me? Or am I filled with your love? And if there's anything there, Jesus isn't here to condemn you. He's here to set you free. He wants you to embrace his love more fully and to love because he first loved us. Just go ahead and have a conversation with Jesus right now. Jesus, thank you for choosing the cross as the way to show us your love, to take care of our sin problem, and to forever set us free from hatred, to live in love. God, I need that more deeply in my heart. I recognize seeds of selfishness, seeds of hatred. And so I just want to look more fully to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, would you help us to look and look and look, to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.